Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Today is March 26, 2021. The Coconuts Podcast is your home for top trending news and pop culture from all across Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Vim Shanmugam. And I'm Nurul Aslia sitting in for Summer Lee. Woohoo! <laughs> Three weeks. Back again. Yes. Back again. You, you're you're now like a. I love it. Love it, Neural. <laughs> you're now like now now like all smooth. You're in for three weeks. It's quite fun, right? Yeah, it's quite fun. Yeah. <laughs> we, we basically Always get fun um, hanging out on the phone. It's like it's just it's like having a phone call and just catching up. You know, taking a break. The funny thing is, you know, doing this podcast like allows. I've realized that you are probably the person that I speak to the longest, like at any point in at, at the company, if you think about it, like we talked for about like an hour, which you, I don't know whether you could say that, like if I could actually say that I have like hour long conversations with any of our like <laughs> colleagues. <laughs> Wait, does that mean I'm very talkative or you just rarely speak to all of us? <laughs> I hate everyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's it's just a funny thing. Like I was uh, I always in a podcast and you know, they always talk about how they love having guests or their friends on because they never actually like have these hour long discussions about anything or whatever the topic of the podcast is because we don't do that anymore. We just like text people or it's like a little bit of like, you know, when we meet up for drinks or food, mm. you know, it's never like, oh, let's just talk to someone, which is what, you know, during analog days, before your time to rule when you were, because <laughs> you were a little one, um, we used to have phone calls to do this. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I remember those days too. There were times when, you know, um, WhatsApp wasn't around. Uh, SMS yeah. was too limited. You know, we, we only had like 100 text messages per month <laughs> otherwise oh you have god. to like pay your bills yeah oh my gosh i remember that that's crazy mm. to think of right yeah right and now like nobody counts their text messages anymore yeah that's that's <laughs> hilarious it's so funny yeah but yeah i get what you mean like especially now that we are uh, mostly working remotely i mm. barely have the opportunity to just sit down and reflect and deep dive into my thoughts and other people's thoughts or like just exchanging points of views like that itself this hasn't happened to me much in the past year so this is refreshing i'm loving it yay yay yeah advertise with our in-house agency grow fast funny digital join forces with us to slay buzzwords rise above the noise and sow the seeds of something great get in touch via coconuts.co slash growth Okay, in our top stories, in Bangkok, women can now feel slightly safer on the roads when they book a ride through Grab's GrabCar Lady service, which allows women, not men, not even groups of men with one woman in it, one woman in it. Um, so it allows women to have the option to be driven home or to whichever destination they want to by a lady driver. Yeah, so... Um, this is an issue. This this seems to be a, a good news. Good news for uh, girls in Bangkok, women in Bangkok, because the women there tend to be uh, tend to fear um, rides mm. home. Um, instances of sexual harassment is common there, especially those uh, committed by taxi drivers. Uh, mm. Just two years ago, a taxi driver was charged with raping an intoxicated teenager while driving her Shit. home. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the so there's this sense of fear among people taking public transportation, especially when they're getting into taxis. And there was this one university survey that showed nearly half of women respondents saying that they they fear sexual harassment whenever mm. they go on rides. Yeah, which is very worrying. I mean I yeah. said it two you know, I said it two podcasts ago, um, yeah. that more needs to be done. To mm. protect women and, and and inculcate a safe environment for women and yeah, saying it again. I think, I think this, is, this is a great idea. I think this is a great idea. And I think like the best part about this is that dudes can't request for these like lady exclusive services. Like you can't like yeah, you can't like the guys can't ask for it. It's only for women. So women can mm. can use the app, but like it can't be for guys. And I think this is a yes. great way to sort of like, you know, obviously like um reduce 
any of this um you know harassment or sexual assault because that's that's first of all awful that that's mm. even something that you know we would need to worry about because yeah, yeah largely like bangkok is a party town um mm, mm, you could you could safely say and like you know a lot of people do tend to drink <laughs> you know <laughs> hit, hit the town and get a little you know like a little loopy so mm-hmm. um yeah i think this is a great way to be um safe you know keep keeping people safe keeping women safe yeah good on grab well um if you wanted to go to bali the end might be in sight um because bali aims to vaccinate about 2.8 million people by the end of june uh, which is already like you know rumors are like popping out that like you know you might now tra- be able to travel to bali in june we'll see about that but bali governor wayan coster says his administration is aiming to vaccinate at least 2.8 million people in the next 100 days um basically they want to get about 70% of the province's population to uh be vaccinated and be immune um it's it's a process about 140,000 people have been vaccinated so far uh but you know they need to get to 2.8 mil which is a little bit away but they're um accelerating that process uh indonesia has so far used uh the coronavac that's the uh chinese um uh vaccination um mm-hmm. and it's been going okay so far uh but yeah it's once again this is all like you know a step by step process to um getting bali back online because as everyone knows like that is like a tourist like a super 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 like tourist destination and their economy like is just built on that and and it's been just basically like ravaged um by the pandemic so i think they're trying to push for this and uh rumors are out that you know um maybe maybe in june maybe you might be able to hit to bali awesome <laughs> sounds are like you, something to look forward to are you a bali person have you been have you been to bali a lot i went to bali twice actually okay yeah yeah i love it um but i i i think i think it's because it's just it's just gotten very touristy Mm. um and uh which is a good thing because then you know there are a lot of things that it's convenient to get like you know many hotels many restaurants or just mm. um uh, it's easier to get around uh in places where there are many tourists um but then again there is just something about about a place being very touristy that that just drains the place of its charm yeah <laughs> I 100% agree. In fact, like yeah. I would actually say like I would love to go to places. I would love to be somewhere touristy right now because there are no tourists if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah. All right, in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is a lovely place to go hiking until you come across a World War II bomb. Okay? Oof. Dozens of hikers tracking twin peaks over the weekend had to be evacuated after after the police were alerted to wartime explosives they include grenades and even a weapon that was used to fire projectiles fortunately Ooh. the bombs were safely detonated um obviously after all the hikers were evacuated from the area and um yeah so now people can resume hiking For those who don't know Twin Peaks is is one of the uh biggest attractions for hikers especially I think um as those in Hong Kong um mm-hmm. it's about I think 3 miles or or a little over 4.5 kilometers stretch uh you have to go up and down two hills so it's very challenging that's why it's called Twin Peaks and a very scenic right super scenic yeah super scenic yeah so I guess mm-hmm. that's the um plus mm-hmm. After you, after you get jelly legs and then you enjoy the view. <laughs> It's a bomb of a view. <laughs> this is where this is where summer like rolls her eyes and like leaves the podcast. <laughs> Goodbye. Summer has left okay. the no chat. <laughs> summer has left the chat. <laughs> Well, in KL, we actually, well, it's a bit of a sad story, but also a very cute story uh, where we have the cutest like witness ever because a cat has attended a Malaysian court hearing in, in an unfortunate abuse case uh, where it was involved. Um, the, the owner of the black and white feline uh, was, you know, uh, on trial um, for apparently like hurling a large, uh, sharp metal object at the poor cat and Uh, the poor cat ended up like getting paralyzed in its hind legs 
Um, so they brought the cat in to to sort of obviously like um, testify. Just kidding, not to testify, <laughs> but actually to show um, you know what happened with with the poor um, cat. So netizens obviously um, went wild, uh, saying this is the cutest witness in the history of Malaysia courts. Um, others obviously sending their um, you know uh, tragic uh, notes about how it's a poor 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 uh, victim. And yeah, this dude could be fined up to a hundred grand ringgit, which is about twenty four thousand USD. Potentially even be jailed for up to three years. And I say, if you hurt an animal, then you should go to jail. <laughs> yeah, we yes. we here we here at coconuts are all animal lovers, and yeah, we. Ugh, ugh. This is, this is all, these stories are always the ones where like we get like the most pissed off. I feel whenever an animal is like hurt. Yeah, and this uh, the cat was paralyzed. The hindquarters yeah. were paralyzed. So sad. I always oh. think like if you're an owner of an animal, mm-hmm. like you know, like um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if if you want to hurt that animal, like don't don't even have it. Like I don't even think that should be like a notion. You know, like mm-hmm. why why keep a pet? If it's just pissing you off, like that's not why people keep pets. <laughs> yeah, unless you have serial killer intentions. Oh God, yeah, that's that's the other thing, <laughs> which I hope's not happening here. Yeah. But the funny thing is, he's claiming trial. He's ac- yeah. he's actually denying, or yeah, he's actually oh, yeah, denying yeah. the accusation. Yeah, he like pled not guilty. So yeah, the only animals could talk. This is the only time where I'm like, you know, this makes. I really more want sense. the cat to talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to represent the cat. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be the legal representation of the cat. <laughs> okay. Um, so in Indonesia, police in West Java said that they're investigating a so-called spiritual guru for possible fraud after he claimed on video that he can magically multiply money. He literally went on camera to show himself just just making it rain with his cash on video. And he's even calling himself an Ustad, which is an Islamic scholar or religious teacher. Um, Right now, he's only identified uh, by his initial age. And in the video, you can see that he's performing this supposed miracle and the video has gone viral. Um, And then not just that he would also you know recite some some mantras and then he would open a box and then that box is suddenly filled with like hundred thousand rupees which is actually just six dollars six us dollars <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah but but yeah but the fact that he's 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 going around on on video and uh recording himself um showing off cash and telling people that he could do this and 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 you know he's just trying to trying to lie to people especially in this time when everyone is um uh broke like so many yeah. people are broke economy yeah. is doing so bad um in indonesia uh, i'm pretty sure it applies there as well um and yeah and it's good that the police are looking into it i hope they arrest him <laughs> because right now they're it's... still investigating the situation what if it was true what if he did have powers, Neural? <laughs> I don't know. I believe in the science. <laughs> if there's a scientific formula to to confirm that he can multiply cash, yeah, I mean, yeah, spiritually, but, not in banks. Like I know banks have like <laughs> cash multiplier accounts, but yeah, if he can do that, then I am, uh, yeah, up for it, man. But now, mm, hey, no, we, I'm not buying it. But, like literally, I'm not buying. This crap. Yes, producer says it's like only like six ninety three. Like I mean, six bucks ninety three cents. Like about seven bucks. Like I'm like, mm, like I think your multiplier is a bit off, mate. Like you need <laughs> at least a little bit higher, lah. Like, you know? Yeah, so. I think he, he obviously he's just going for the visual effect, <laughs> make it rain look. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a he's like a base level like saucer. Like you know, he's still learning. So. <laughs> Um, well, in the Philippines, uh, the Philippines government has actually discouraged uh, overseas-based Pinoys um, from coming home because COVID cases are just 
out of control um, in the Philippines. The National Task Force on COVID-19, NTF, um, told overseas-based Philippines that the government continues to grapple with rising cases in the country. It's it's quite severe in, in the Philippines, as we reported over the last few weeks. Um, so while you know some uh, uh, some Filipinos who are living overseas, working overseas, um, do want to come back and see their families and their kids, um, right now because uh, it's not under control, COVID still very much like rising. In fact, um, where the surge of cases are almost reaching like eleven thousand per day. Which is an insanity um, mm-hmm. that you know, they've basically said that look like um, don't come back right now. Um, the country has the second highest number of COVID cases in Southeast Asia, with almost six hundred fifty thousand um, so far. So it is quite, um, yeah, it is quite like severe. They have started the vaccination program though, uh, but they were the, like the last in the region to like, actually start the vaccination program. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Um, you know, they borrowed millions and millions of dollars to start the vaccination programs. Um, and right now, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a bit of a bumpy ride for Filipinos. Yeah, I think that's like another question to ask. I, how many countries um, have, you know, uh, accumulated COVID debt and how much? Yeah. You know, how much COVID debt has been accumulated over this just past year, just purchasing TPEs uh, and vaccination um, stocks. You know, that would be interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just become like, it's this whole other level of like capitalism, right? Like with with <laughs> saving people's lives, like, you know, um, yeah, we can't really like uh, speak too much of it. But yeah, it is it is kind of an insanity that that. Um, all these countries will will probably like be in might have their economies just be be wrecked not because of the pandemic but also also because they have to buy all these vaccines like is this just insane mm-hmm. yeah like how how much the uh, this this uh, little virus has mm-hmm. affected everyone <laughs> yeah oh wow and in Singapore. Hazing oh rituals are in the spotlight again in Singapore. Um, so there was a video of two naked boys being u- u- urinated on, okay? They were peed on while in a bathroom in school. And that video went viral, okay? Um, so there were many speculations as to where, when it happened. And then suddenly this week, Nian Polytechnic came out to confirm that those people in the video were their students um, and that they were investigating the matter. Um, so apparently the police were also alerted to the to the video and they said that they are also investigating the video as well. Okay, if you've seen this video, it is super disturbing. It really caused widespread rage online within hours. Um, there were two boys, they were butt naked, squatting in the toilet, facing the wall. And then there were a bunch of boys behind them taking turns to uri- urinate on them. Yeah, what? I'm just going to let that imagine sink in. <laughs> I'm like, well, I think, I think in the words of, uh, of Summer Lee, what the fuck? What the fuck? Stupid as hell. Like, what <laughs> the heck is going on, like, in this place? Like, who does this? Is this, I didn't even know this is a good thing. Like, because, so for people who don't really know, like, polytechnics are in Singapore, like, that's sort of like the tertiary education. Vocational, yeah, like, vocational yeah. tertiary level institution, yeah. Yeah, so so people who go to the school school are like between the ages of like sixteen to like eighteen, uh, like 16, sixteen going on seventeen to like nineteen. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. So, like, <laughs> so, well, I mean, I, I have nothing to say about this. This is like insanity to me. Um, I feel. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like this happens in like college, like colleges in the U.S. Like or you know in crazy places sometimes usually at frats when you need to enter frats or sororities but even yeah. those have sort of like kind of been set kind of nixed um over over the last like you know a uh, few years but but yeah this is like yeah this is quite this is quite for singapore quite like uh provocative i feel super but i think that um this is just like the tip of the iceberg, man. Like uh, we're seeing yeah. so many people who claim to be uh, students from that school or former students of that school coming out to um, share stories of uh, similar experiences. 
or some even worse. But yeah, I, yeah. I can't believe one of the guys was like peed on said like it was oh nah bro i was cool with it just mindless fun for me i'm like what <laughs> like, yeah what kind, of, what kind of fun are you having where like getting peed on is like a thing <laughs> right? i mean gen z man gen z <laughs> <laughs> but then but but i do question whether um wh whether the kid was really sincerely uh you know denying yeah. any any sort of hazing Oh um, yeah, for sure. Maybe he was yeah. forced to do it. I don't know. If if he could be coerced into being peed on, he could be seems like he could be coerced into doing pretty much a lot of things. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, this is yeah, this is to me next level, I feel. So yeah. anyways, yeah. I hope um some something I hope some consequence come out of this, you know, like people can just teach next or younger people that this is okay. It's not yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is why I don't attend school events also. Like, unless it's a concert or something that involves food. Mm. <laughs> Actually, that's a, good, that's a good point. Actually, like, that's probably why when I went to any, like, school event. Like, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Just avoid this altogether. <laughs> well, in our top story, um, we go back to Yangon where we were reporting about the strike. Um, so, over the last week, um, Yangon streets actually went quiet because Myanmar went on a silent strike. Um, essentially, like you know, the the protesters like uh, were all all went home and went and went silent because they turned um, basically all the cities um, across Myanmar into little ghost towns um, called the silent strike. Um, this is basically a way for them to go against the junta and and. These everyone stayed at home until like 3 p.m. Uh, and it was a campaign to say that hey, silence is not fear. Uh, this is how we're going to reunite and you know kind of go against them um, with a silent, uh, non-violent like protest. So um, yeah, very. <laughs> I guess like you know, look, um, we've we've kind of spoken about this um, at length now. It's been not just unfortunate, but just awful um, the last few weeks. And we just hope that, you know, like at some point that, um, you know, that there is a resolution to this with regards to the silent strike, you know, you could, you can see um, photos online um, and across, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook uh, of just like empty, empty streets. Um, but this is just another step in a way where, you know, um, they don't want military rule. Um, and they're just trying different ways to get the message out and, and hopefully, you know, there is an accord that's reached, um, and no more people get hurt. Yeah. I actually, uh, think that the silent strike that's, that, that went on, it would be quite a good break to focus on protecting their lives because yeah. so many, I mean, we were seeing reports of young people being killed and and dying, uh, protesting their, for their lives, or protesting for their government and for their country, and um, you know, obviously, just just by looking at the reports, it's quite obvious that the uh, junta government is um, very is is taking quite a no holds barred approach in attacking civilians. They're not mm. even restraining. I don't even see any signs of them trying to restrain themselves from attacking the civilians. It's like there's always someone, there's always someone hurt, in, injured, um, taken to hospital. Someone died. Families are starting to mourn. And there was this powerful image of this nun who stood in front of the um, officers, military officers, and begging to them for them to take her life instead. You know, like. It's it's reaching that point, and uh, it's it's yeah it's reaching that point. It's just um, and I feel like this silent strike, although uh, uh, it's this silent strike will you know kind of protect. Like take some time to really just focus on on protecting your life at the moment. Ugh, yeah, and just, just you know just take stay in stay inside for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, let, let it like kind of blow over. But yeah, we, you know, like our thoughts and prayers are with them. I hate saying that, but like, you know, the, the, it's the only thing that we can kind of send through and um, mm. hopefully like, yeah, you know, uh, there is an accord reached. 
Yeah, I want. I I really hope the International Criminal Court um don't take too long to um do something because I know the International Criminal. I mean, we all know that the ICC can take um people into account for you know causing harm, like uh, committing war crimes or just you know ca causing harm to civilians. And um, I really hope to see something happen. Yeah. There. 100%. Hmm. This week, we want to learn more about the right to our faces or lack thereof in the art world. After a conflict between a Singaporean model, Duan Meiyue, and an artist, Alison Mlo, came up over the use of the model's face as the subject of the artist's work. Mm. Our special guest, Ryan Su. He's joining us today to help us understand the issue better. He's an art and cultural property lawyer who specializes in intellectual property and is from the Osborne Club firm. As yeah. for all our guests, including him, as for all our guests, um, his opinions do not represent ours nor Coconut Media's. Yeah, because like I mean, I, I guess to give people some context, like he he represents like Allison, um, and you know, like we don't take any sides. We hope like you know, uh, everyone's like uh, legally and respectfully like there's an outcome for this. But it's quite interesting to listen to Ryan and and learn more about like you know IP law and, and identity law here um, in uh, in Singapore because it is quite it is quite gray in a lot of places. Like uh, or rather, it's a lot. It's quite gray in Singapore. So. Um, should be an interesting chat. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to learn more. Hey Ryan. Hi. Hey, Ryan. Hi everyone. Yes. Okay. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, why don't we start with uh, you know you telling our listeners out there like more about yourself and the work that you do for the local arts community? Oh, okay, that's a very wide question. <laughs> uh, my name is uh, Ryan Su. I'm a arts and cultural property law lawyer, and I work in Osborne Club, but in the Singapore office of the international firm. So I'm here to answer questions about intellectual property and about photographs and. Uh, models and artworks <laughs> so <laughs> fire away <laughs> okay um i guess um so about this issue uh, the conflict between um the model and artist Alison Amlo um i think when when we first uh, saw the the conflict it, it came out as pretty random to us because i think it's very rare that we see this kind of issues surfacing especially in the social media um but is this something that happens quite often in the local art, arts world, would you say? This is something that, that happens quite often around the world. So mm. around the world, there are different intellectual property rights in different countries that govern such situations. The interesting thing about this situation happening in Singapore is that it has happened over social media. And... Uh, the reach of social media is very wide. If you look at the model's uh, Instagram page, I believe she has around 55,000 followers. Mm. So, so when you, uh, when, when such a, uh, a situation arises over social media and in such a case, uh, the, the ramifications are, are huge, especially when this is amplified. And of course, even if the Instagram account is, is based in Singapore, users mm. of Instagram all around the world can, of course, come in to give their two cents worth, la, even mm. if they may or may not know the true facts of the situation. And, and it can turn out to be quite a, quite a, quite a mob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's quite, I mean, it's starting to become very common. Whenever a conflict conflict appears on social media, and then you start to see um, people from all sides, yeah, reacting to it pretty Drama. intensely. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but for this one, like you know, it involves like the person's face, right? Um, so does so how does it link back to intellectual property rights? So does that mean that you know, like, uh everyone who posts selfies, like anyone who posts selfies out there, like that selfie becomes my intellectual property and therefore 
um, I can claim a case under it if anyone, if any artist decides to draw my face? I, I think this is the key question here. Uh, mm. And uh, of course, several people have come up to speak about it. Mm. But the position in Singapore and the, how the law in Singapore works is that there's no such thing as a publicity right or yeah. right of personality. I, I think this has come up quite a lot. And what do I mean by a publicity right? It means that Say you are a celebrity, you're very famous, like Beyonce or Rihanna, and you don't want your face to be put on t-shirts. Yeah. You can invoke this type of personality, right, to stop the t-shirts from being sold or being made. But in Singapore, mm. there doesn't quite exist any personality, right? And uh, mm. in other countries, of course, these cases uh, have have different laws because these are in other countries and 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 uh, the different countries' law applies to, to these particular cases. But in Singapore, there, there exists no personality, right? So your next question to me will be, what happens if something like that happens? Usually, yeah. when the lawyers are contacted, we have to frame a claim in passing off. So passing off sounds like a little, it's a, it's a concept that sounds a little bit weird, and mm. it's not particularly engineered for this purpose. Passing off means that you try to make uh, say you are you are you are a competitor. Say you sell toothpaste. You make your toothpaste yeah. look like your competitor's toothpaste, but you change like the C to a G or something like that, mm. and so they will get confused. So there's confusion, and uh, yeah. they will they will buy your toothpaste instead, and the other person loses customers. So we have so we, without such personality or publicity rights in Singapore, what we do is we have to frame a case where the customers are being pulled away. Or the customers mm. are being confused. Uh, but, okay. okay. So in this case, if I if, if we, we go back to the facts, if we draw somebody's face, we, we need to prove something like the person's customers are being taken away, which is kind so, of difficult because it doesn't really fit with the situation, or people are being or if people are being confused or misled. So like a tangible, like a tangible loss or yeah, like something that affects that person, right? You're, you're, is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, there's elements mm. of confusion and mm. misrepresentation and people being misled. So I, without a personality right here mm. in Singapore, I, I don't think this would work. And, uh, and then your next question would be, <laughs> oh, I'm anticipating all this, but, but it's my job. It's, it's a job, has it? So <laughs> the next question would be, so why, why do we not... Uh, uh, enact a personality right in Singapore right now. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but that would also have consequences. Uh, and the consequences would directly affect the freedom of speech. Because, oh, I cannot draw anybody anymore. Or, or what would that mean? Or, or if I drew someone, uh, would that result in a lot of uh, claims or, or legal or lawsuits against me? So it yeah. affects freedom of speech and it also has a chilling effect on creativity or the arts ecosystem. So every time when we talk about a particular law or whether a law is good or bad or whether we should include it or have it, mm. we have to look at, at both sides. So the current state of affairs as it stands is that there's no personality right in Singapore. It doesn't exist. Now, if we were to do anything, we would try and frame it in passing off and uh, it would be a very clumsy type of claim that is quite difficult. So just to clear clear out, that means like, it, like for example, like Rihanna, um, I can't obviously like paint her and make commercial. Uh, I can't make like money off of it, right? Because obviously she can come and like sue me. But then, is, are you saying that like someone in Singapore I can do that? Like that means like a say I don't know a local celebrity of some sort. I can't think of any jo Joanne Pei. <laughs> so, okay. so someone like Joanne Pei. If I painted like a photo of her, and then could I make money off of that? You technically can. Ah. Although she may come back and try to say you're confusing people because it mm. looks like she's endorsing your product, but she's Correct. not. You know what yeah. I mean? So they would try to frame a claim in something like this. But but in, in our facts, like yeah. uh, the Allison and, and the, the Mayuer dispute, I don't mm. think anything is being endorsed or customers are being driven away. I don't think any of such things are happening. Mm, because the, basically the model needs to, or the, um, I guess, yeah, the model or the talent needs to be able to show that there was, yeah, confusion or I guess a loss of revenue or something based off of this, right? 
Yes, and uh, so it's a it's a pretty hard claim to mount here. Mm. I have a question. This personal personality rights thing, like how common is it in other parts of the world? And is it more uh, prevalent in like Western countries? And does it usually apply to people with uh, people who are famous? It's more prevalent in the West, especially in America. And uh, mm. of course, like what you identify, it it applies to people who are famous. And what you have to prove if you want to assert that you have such a personality, right? You have to prove your fame. Mm-mm-mm. So if we brought this here, I think there will be very unhealthy consequences. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you prove your fame? Oh, I have mm-hmm. 50,000 followers. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, ar- around the world, there are different ways of, of invoking this personality, right? But it's prevalent in, in America. And basically, the personality, right, is about the exploitation or the economic exploitation of fame. Okay, understand. So I guess if, let's say, personal, uh, personality rights did apply in Singapore, um, do you, I guess it, um, the model would have a hard time to make that claim as well because then she would need to um, prove famous. her fame beyond the number of followers that she has on Instagram. Or somehow try to prove you're very famous and I suffered some kind of a loss. Mm, but what is the okay. loss in this case? Mm, yeah, that's the question right there. We don't know. <laughs> what is the loss? Were people confused? Were, was she losing a booking? I, I, I don't think any of that happened. Mm. There was though one um, uh, thing that I when I first saw the artwork, I initially had the... Uh, thought that there was a collaboration between the artist and the model and then that turned out to be untrue. Would that kind of confusion, um, you know, help her claim in any way or that's too minute? <laughs> uh, I think that's a valid, a valid, a very valid observation that there may be a collaboration but but then the question turns on, on what, what is the loss? Who was mm. confused? Did anybody lose money? And... Mm-hmm. Uh, is that kind of question? I mean, I mean, these uh, artworks were presented in a very tasteful setting. But for example, I I say I, I made the artworks in a very disparaging way. Then I put mm. them in like a rubbish bin or something like that. Then of course, it's a different kind of claim, right? Of course, yeah. it would be outraged. But in this case, there was nothing disparaging. And I believe the statement that the artist gave to Coconuts was actually that these works about the stre- were about the strength of women mm. and to inspire and to uplift. So there was, from from what I know, there was no ill intention. Mm. Yeah, I guess. Um, well, I'm not sure what were the uh, because I think what was clear to, to in the story was that there was money to be made from the artwork, which just so happens um, yeah. involve the like likeness of the model's face. Right. Mm. Um, I think that's the biggest issue, right? Like, I think she probably felt that there was like money being made without her from her, (laughs) from her like likeness. And she's like, I'm not like, why don't I get like get in on this? I think that's probably because I'm sure if there was, if, um, you know, like Allison had had made zero money, there was no like, you know, it was just basically like uh, an exhibit somewhere. I don't think she would have cared that much. But I think because, um, you know, it's been used in all these places and that she made money off of it. I think that's why she's probably like pissed off. Mm. I assume, mm. obviously, allegedly. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, but that's what, yeah. that's what I would think. Yeah. I have another question. Sorry, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> so, okay, let's say, so obviously now in terms of uh, personality rights, we cannot even use. So, so it's, it's whatever Alison did, this, it's not illegal, right? Um, but if let's say the uh, model still wants to fight for it, is there anything else that she can look towards? Like maybe personal data protection? Is our face even considered personal data? To be <laughs> claim the under current, the current state of the law in Singapore is that, uh, like like what I said, no, you can draw anybody. I can draw you. You can draw me. And we can put all our pictures on Instagram. And you know what? Mm. Instagram may be the owner of all those things that we put up. Which is true. Instagram. <laughs> so, 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 
so that's the thing. And and going back to the earlier observation that, yeah, Alison made money, so the mother got angry. Uh, from from the coconuts article, so I think we saw that Alison actually tagged the model in very early work, but that was yes. quite some time ago. And mm. and just going on that basis, drawing other people. I mean, you know, there's this whole thing about fan art, right? Right, when you mm-hmm. like are fans of like Lady Gaga, then you draw a lot of pictures of her, then you send them to her, or you put them mm-hmm. on Instagram. Uh, so I think that was like more of a fan art approach, and th- that didn't raise any eyebrows. But later mm-hmm. on, when all these people started digging, then they saw, oh, they Alison drew a picture of the model putting on her website, and it sold, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and but the picture had other elements also. It didn't only have the model's face; it had like. Other things, I think she was attached to a stone, to a stone, yes. right? Yeah. So that's that's. I think that's a common uh, image that appears in in Alison's work. I think she she her things are quite quirky, and she includes like different elements that that keep recurring. Mm. So, uh, the model may have uh got uh, angry because uh, these were sold, but if you look at it from a bigger, bigger picture. It wasn't sold for an astronomical amount of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, for commissioning artwork, like like what I believe was done at the store, uh, Alison would have been paid, I believe, uh, a fee to, to put up the whole exhibition, but but that money would, uh, in a substantial part of that money, would go to uh, production costs, which is printing the thing or doing the thing or yeah. installing. So I really, really, really don't think there's much money to be made. Mm-hmm. And it's and the model, uh so there are different types of, of, of models and how they can be involved. For if the model, for example, posed for the picture and put in time and effort in trying to and, and be, was part of the creation, perhaps of course uh she would or she must have been paid. But in this case, mm. it was uh, an image of the model that was taken. The model didn't take any active step to or, or use her time or her effort to, or expense to to participate in this artistic output. You know what I mean? Mm. She didn't pose for it. She didn't sit for five hours. She didn't. Mm. So, so I would think it would be a very difficult claim to make if mm. it was based on the profits, which I don't think is even a lot of money. Hmm. Is this um is this the first time you you're being uh, approached for by an artist for a, a case like this or or is, does this happen all the time? You know, artists being um uh, finding themselves in in conflict because of the art that they make. Okay, um, so this is very interesting. It's it's an international problem. Of course, we know mm-hmm. the art market is international. There are artists all over the world. Mm-hmm. So. One very, very common thing, right, when you go to visit artist studios around the world, artist studios are the place where the artist does his painting or they make art, it's like a workshop. A lot of the times the artists tell you cannot take pictures. And the reason why you cannot take pictures is because the artists will cut out pictures from magazines and all and paste them on the table or what, that is like their mood board or their inspiration. Mm. And so they don't want say somebody identified from a picture that you use this, you use that, and then try to get money from, from the artist. You know what I mean? Mm. So when 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 people do studio visits, a lot of times the artist say you cannot take any pictures of the studio. And uh, and even fashion brands, I mean, sometimes you see like, oh, behind the scenes or all these fashion brands or fashion shows or these designers drawing, they actually got a lot of references on their mood board. Mm. And, uh, and I believe people are very sensitive if those are, uh, are picked up or people try to claim for any kind of intellectual property, right? So, but around the world, it's very common. I mean, there are big, big, big cases about about these things. And uh, and uh, famous artist in America, Richard Prince. What happened to Richard Prince was that he found this book of like Rastafarians living in Jamaica. He took the pictures from the book, uh, blew them up, and then was, and then he had a. Uh, added blocks of paint over them. So it's like a new type of artistic work, but he was still sued by the photographer. So mm. overseas, the, the laws are different. Uh, mm. And the cases, and of course, the, the artists that are involved are very established artists or very wealthy artists that can go and fight this kind of long-drawn type case. But mm. uh, 
this this is common. I mean, since time immemorial, also artists always reference other artists, and uh, and sometimes like when in in the in antiquity or in in ancient times, for example, when people do Chinese painting, the best 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 Chinese painters how they train is that they copy the exact Chinese painting of the master. So about copying and and uh, appropriation and misappropriation, that's like, it's been going on for a long time. Like all the Leonardo da Vinci and all the disciples, like sometimes we don't know if a work is by Leonardo da Vinci because all the students were painting the same thing around the same time. So, <laughs> so this has a long history and, uh, and yeah. What about within Singapore, the artists in Singapore? Like apart from Ellison's uh, case, like, do you have you heard of a similar case in the past about an artist drawing someone else's uh, face and and using it as their art without consent? Okay, so in in Asia, a lot of things are very different from the West, and I think it's a common a stereotype or belief that in Asia people don't really like to fight lawsuits; they are less. Litigious, they prefer things to be settled in a communitarian, in a friendly manner. You know, they don't like all this kind of. It's not really a rights-based society. So mm. the drawback. So 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 I have studied all this and I enjoy learning and reading about this in in both the West and in Singapore. So so I've been on both sides. And uh, so the thing about Asia is that a lot of these cases don't go to court or are mm. settled discreetly on the side. But one mm. case that I do remember was. Of this artist, uh, his name, uh, very, uh, very important artist in, in the art historical uh, uh, narrative of Singapore. His name is Lee Wen. He was a mm-hmm. performance artist. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, performance art has a very tumultuous history in Singapore. Mm-hmm. So, what he did was that he made this ping pong table that was actually round and people could play ping pong from all directions. So yes, the I remember that. Table looks something like a pie, yes. <laughs> so and you could play ping pong. And then, uh, I believe, uh, of course, subject to Google, I think it was sports, sports SG or something. I, I can't remember. Of course, don't quote me on it. Go to Google it. Copied mm-hmm. the table allegedly, and it appeared at the sports hub, I believe. But again, subject to Google, and uh, and it resulted in quite an uproar in the arts community, and uh. Eventually, the case was settled out of court. It never went mm-hmm. to court, and it was it was settled. So mm-hmm. uh, there are cases like this that happen here, but not all of them are publicized because people don't really like to air their disputes in Singapore. That's that's mm-hmm. from my experience in the art and cultural property law mm-hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. So if uh, I guess there's so like. The fact that so many things are under wraps or like settled amicably on the side, like there's so few ways that people in the art world can actually learn from these issues. <laughs> or, yeah, if you're interested in these issues, uh, when <laughs> get do you a find... lawyer. <laughs> Not really. If you're interested in these issues, I guess. Uh, I believe art law has a long, long way to go in Singapore. And you know, even artists, they need to know their rights. And... Uh, Sometimes they get bullied and sometimes bullying gets out of control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, in this scenario. <laughs> well, uh, Ryan, thank you. Thank you so much for coming down and chatting with us. I think like this is definitely like enlightening. I think for people, I didn't even know, and I'm in the film industry here in Singapore. Like, you know, some of this is definitely like eye-opening for us as well. Um, but I think it will also, you know, maybe maybe cases like this will shine more of a spotlight on these types of scenarios and, and maybe there'll be evolution to that law uh, at some point. Yes, perhaps we, we, we never know. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, thank Ryan. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you for your time. Awesome. So that was actually quite an interesting chat with Ryan because I didn't know about that. Like where I could paint your face neural tomorrow and make a lot of money from it. And 
<laughs> and yeah, you couldn't sue me. Please don't sue me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even if I want to because I'm not like as famous as Beyonce. <laughs> well, on that on that on that same note, I'm probably not as talented as you know Allison or any other artist. I'm probably gonna. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> it will be the fun, the funniest legal case ever. <laughs> You're like, yeah, that's a that's a stick figure, sir. Like, yeah, you have no claims. <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm gonna strike out this this case now. You can leave the courtroom. <laughs> yeah. But it is good to know. Hopefully, like, you know, uh, Allison and, and um, Dwan are able to work something out because, you know, this is, yeah, just unfortunate. Um, and, yeah, you know, I, you know, as a filmmaker and you as a writer, like, you know, we we all be, obviously, like, get information and, and um, inspiration from all kinds of places. And, you know, and we, but we do try to make sure that everyone everyone gets credited and everyone gets like, you know, a piece of the pie. So hopefully, you know, like um, there is a kind of court that, that takes place. Yeah. And also I feel like this whole situation would have been, um, I don't know, could have been, could, could not have happened if, you know, there was maybe some form of consent. Mm. Yeah. No, maybe it would, it would, it would end up a, a little bit differently. If that had taken place, just my thought. Yeah, or like a heads up, or you know, <laughs> just like the just like the common. Because in the end, I always think like you know, they're both in essence artists, like in their own way. So like mm. it's like the the respect of an artist, right? Like so, um, yeah. So let's hope like you know things work out well, and and no one is like hurt by it. So it's already a little tense, a little tense, shall we say? So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's all we have today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and listening to us. Hope you have a good weekend. Have a great weekend. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support Coconuts and our weird and wondrous stories, you can become a Coco Plus member at coconuts.co slash membership, make a patron payment at coconuts.co slash patron, or buy a fresh merch at the Coconut Shop at shop.coconuts.co. Subscribe to the podcast and leave reviews. Tell us how you feel and what you like and don't like. We're excited to hear from you. The Coconuts Podcast delivers impactful, weird, and wondrous reporting by a journalist on the ground in eight cities. Singapore, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Manila, Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, Yangon, and Bali. Listen to headline news and insightful interviews on matters large and small designed for people located in or curious about Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. The Coconuts Podcast is a Coconuts Media Production. Our hosts are Nurul Aslia and Vim Shanmugam. Our executive producer is Byron Perry. Our production manager is Clarissa Cortez. And our editor is Rainer Lim. <laughs>